the end of the day, it comes down to building good relationships with customers. Hi, I'm Kyle Poyer from OpenView's expansion team, where I help software companies accelerate their revenue growth so they can become market leaders. This season on Build, we're dedicating every episode to a different SaaS benchmark. Think growth rates, unit economics, the rule of 40, and so on. Each week on Build, I'll speak with VCs to find out what they're looking for in a new investment, as well as operators to get the inside track on how to actually hit those lofty benchmarks. This season will also be interactive. You can help us improve our SaaS benchmarks by participating in the 2018 Benchmarking Survey. Visit benchmarks.openviewpartners.com to learn more and find last year's results. Now, on with the show. Today's episode is about retention, what good retention looks like, how to measure it, and how to improve it. I'm joined by Mackie Craven, a partner at OpenView, who will share what he looks for in prospective investments. Max Yoder and Connor Burt from Lessonly will then talk about how they designed and optimized their client experience and how they turned customers into raving fans. Mackie, thanks for joining the Build Podcast. Today's focus is about retention. And before we start talking about that, could you share a bit about your background and what you focus on here at OpenView? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks, Kyle, for having me. So I've been at OpenView for about five years. I've been in principal investing for 10, all of it tech-focused, all of it sort of venture capital in the venture capital ecosystem. You know, before that, I was an academic undergrad, grad, research, teaching at MIT, applied mathematician, engineer by training, then ended up focusing on intellectual property, trade secrets, and trade secret law in the U.S. and abroad before starting my career in principal investing. At OpenView, I lead our data-driven software practice. So that touches infrastructure software, touches application software that relates to infrastructure. And increasingly, over the last maybe 18 months, and my guess is for many, many years to come, I'm focused on applications in the machine intelligence ecosystem. Great. And what are some example investments that you've led here at OpenView? So it, it ranges across each of those spectra. On the infrastructure software side, a company called SwiftStack, which is a software-defined uh, you know, object storage or cloud data management player. A company called Datadog, infrastructure monitoring for the cloud age. And more recently, with respect to some machine intelligence ecosystem, uh, a company called Kajito, which provides a real-time behavioral coach for individuals, generally in large enterprises and call centers, to have more effective conversations. Really awesome technologies. And you know, when you look at a new investment like these companies that you mentioned, what characteristics are you looking for, and how does retention fit in? Great question, Kyle. There are many characteristics to consider when, whenever looking at a, a new investment. Quantitative, qualitative, obviously, you know, the team is, is paramount. A market opportunity, or, or at least an emerging market opportunity that's large enough to, to support an enduring business at scale. Certainly care about technology and the differentiation, particularly in the infrastructure and, and machine intelligence worlds. But when we think about financial metrics, particularly you know, quantitative metrics, whether um, you know, purely financial or, or derived metrics, right, as many of the kind of common SaaS metrics are, the thing that I look at most closely, more than growth rate, more than gross profit, more than payback period, uh, is this idea of, of net retention. And specifically here, or you could think of it as, as net expansion, so not just how much the customers that you've acquired grow over time. I tend to th- you know, think about and try to separate the idea of growth that is actively sold or supported, where there's human effort that a company puts into that growth, 
versus growth that maybe comes a little bit more naturally from a product user or a product to buyer interaction. And over time, we've seen that that metric more than, than any other is the strongest signal and an early determinant of potential high growth at scale, but more importantly, efficient growth. So if your Kia company's customers are not only staying and continuing to use the product, but spending more and more naturally without watch sales or support costs to do that, that looks like it's going to be a great business in the long term. Yeah, I guess, as you said, there's lots of, of other components, but you know, if I'm looking at a business model, I would definitely lean much more heavily towards companies that, that have that dynamic. There's a lot of different ways that people might measure retention, and you know, you mentioned a couple of ways already, but could you walk us through what are some of the different metrics that, that you look at and, and how you prefer to quantify retention? Great question. I think it, the approach to how at least we look at uh, retention from either as a board position or, or as a potential new investor, um, getting to know a team and, and getting to know a company, we sort of fall into to two buckets. The principal one, which, you know, which I described before, is thinking about it on a dollar basis, particularly on a net dollar basis. And if it's an enterprise company early in its life cycle, you know, the, the idea of cohorts may not make sense because the number of customers, you know, maybe 10, 20, 35, right? So you're just looking for individual data points there, but you know, how those accounts evolve over time. If a company serves the mid-market or maybe it's a product-led growth business and so is serving a wide variety of customers, but you know, it's a high velocity uh, customer acquisition model, there's a lot of data points then we tend to look at this idea of net dollar retention co-ordered over time. So if you acquire a dollar in, let's say, ARR or MRR on day one, what does that look like You know, at the end of month one, at the end of month six, to the degree there's enough data, 12 months in, 18 months in, 24 months in? And, and is there a trend? So first, what direction is it? But also, is there any consistency to that? So that's, I'd say, the primary way we look at it. We do spend less time, sort of the idea of gross retention, just sort of counting the number of customers and how long they stay around. Where we do end up caring about that is in markets that might be a, a little bit more constrained. So, you know, if you look, if you take the analogy all the way out from software businesses, but look at consumer internet businesses or consumer businesses in general, um, you can build incredibly large companies with fairly high churn rates because there's just a lot of individual humans, <laughs> right? And so, the idea that if you, you know, if you're churning 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, or more percent of your user base a year, but you know, you've got a, an applicable user base of, of four billion people. You know, and you know that have you know, phones. That, then that's fine. If you know you're an enterprise company, and ultimately there's maybe only 500 businesses that, that matter for you in, in your core markets, and your net retention is incredible, but you, from a gross basis, are churning 10% a year, that might be a problem because that'll ultimately inhibit the the overall opportunity. Totally, and you know, on the consumer side, you can look at a company like Blue Apron and. They're churning, you know, more than half their customers. I think even in six months. But on the SaaS side, what do you look for as a rule of thumb for good retention, and what does you know best in class look like? It's, it's a great question. Just to, to give some perspective, actually personally, but but in an open view, we end up talking to you know, you know several thousand companies a year and, and investing five or six. So you know a lot of data points, and really in that companies that we see are are truly you know good. We like to see over 100% in 
businesses that are you know more SMB focused in enterprise, we like to see over you know 120 percent or 130 percent. When I'm saying that, that's at the end of a first year. So if you acquire a dollar in let's say ARR on average, you know, or your customers paying you a dollar thirty or a dollar twenty uh, 12 months later, and then does that sustain? Best in class is generally in the range of you know we see a dollar seventy five, a dollar eighty. You know, there's a handful of businesses that, that we've encountered that are, are at that range, a handful that, that we work with today as well. And when you have that sort of internal growth rate built in, at least for your first year in your customers, particularly if it's growth that is more, uh, it's more to do with product customer interaction than activities that salespeople or customer success individuals might be able to do, powerful because it's, it's not scale invariant, but it's close, right? Whether one individual is interacting with your product or 10 or 100 or 10,000, and they're interacting with for the first time, they and their teams will go through the same experience and you'll get leverage from that. And so we see those those types of numbers, unlike payback periods, these other things be sustainable over a long period of time. Got it. Got it. And what are some of the companies that come to mind who are, you know, real retention rock stars? When you think about those, you know, what do they look like? What do they have in common? So I, I touched on some of these characteristics before. I think there's from often the companies founding, they tend to be incredibly I wouldn't even say buyer or customer focused, but user focused, right? They tend to build, whether or not they end up building a great public brand, they build very loyal followings. Um, they uh, are often very product focused, uh, you know, as a result, trying to deliver fantastic experiences. You know, on the enterprise side, we, we certainly can see companies that have great retention who do that and also need to and can, can add to it or compensate with very strong sort of customer success and service onboarding teams. But it, it really comes down to uh, focus on product. Uh, and a focus on usage. Uh, and then the second piece of it is companies that focus on reducing friction. Friction at the top of their funnel, friction uh, to go from a novice user to an advanced user as, as they experience. So often that focus on product and focus on, on a user journey, not just to do a specific task, but if they think over a year or two years or three years or five years, right, of what someone's experience with this product will be and, and you know, I'd say the very best can even incorporate the ideas of mastery, right? You know, you can use the product on day one and get value, and you can use it on you know year five and still be getting additional value because you've spent more and more time with it, right? And I think the companies that do this best don't do that because they have a gazillion features, windows, and widgets, which can be overwhelming for a new user, but just have great depth. So that's something else that you know, we really see. Getting to value very quickly and then increasing value over time. And, you know, we've talked a lot about retention. Do you think that, and I know you personally look at this as, a, you know, important metric for a company. Do you think SaskGov is actually paying enough attention to retention? You know, it, it, it's certainly hard to uh, give sort of a general comment on, you know, just do SaaS companies generally pay enough for, or not enough. I will say relative to how important I, I think it can be as a metric over the long term, probably not quite enough, right? It, it's one it's a leading indicator, but it takes a long, long time to collect enough data points to actually know. And so in the early days, you can be doing everything right and you can measure it. It's hard to know if you're good or great, right, before you've actually been in market for a year or for two years. You can know if you're taking the right activities. Unlike things that are very responsive, like revenue growth or payback period or managing your margins, which you can take an action today and see the immediate effect of it. Here, it you know, takes a little bit longer. And so I think given the pace, which is you know, fantastic, the young, young companies, particularly young SaaS companies, move, as well as just the time it takes to do this type of analysis or put in the infrastructure to review it, in my sense is maybe, you know, maybe there'd be a little bit more focus on the metric. 
Right. You know, you don't see the impact right away. And so it, you might think that time spent fixing that or improving it might not actually be having the return when in reality you have to wait quite a long time before those returns really materialize. And, you know, when companies are looking for ways to either diagnose what's wrong in their retention funnel or fix that, what advice do you give them? It goes back to, to your question around what, what do companies that are great at retention really focus on? And it tends to be spending more time with your customers, right? So that, you know, what first thing you can do is do both cross-customer reviews for the customers that, you know, are with you and grow. Try to understand what common characteristics those customers have. Are those observable characteristics before you engage with them? Are the observable characteristics only once you engage? And then, you know, really understand which segments for your current product create enough value, right, for those users such that they'll hopefully not just be retained but grow over time. And then what can you build into your product or into your processes and practice to increase retention, right? It's not something typically that you can fix overnight and, and often the root of both the companies that have strongest retention and those that, that struggle with it ultimately comes down to the product itself and, and the value that that product provides for users. Great. And, you know, one more question on this topic. So you mentioned it's really important to get to know your customers. You actually wrote a piece in Inc. about this and how you've seen a new crop of tools and platforms that promise to help companies improve their retention by providing deeper insight into their customers. How have you seen these new technologies play out in SaaS? That's a really interesting point, right? You know, as the software industry moved to uh, delivery models right, as, as a service, like you got two major benefits. One was the opportunity to change business model, which most have to return revenue. The other was that for the first time, all of your customers, all of the users within those customers were engaging literally on your infrastructure. And so you had the opportunity to measure, to monitor, to interact, and to understand all of the nuances of that customer product interaction, as opposed to, let's say, in a traditional enterprise software model where your field reps, the dedicated you know, account folks from a service perspective, or the first, second, and third lines um, you know, from support would come back to product and be saying, hey, this is what I heard. And product would go on site, would be talking to a buyer, maybe some users, but often wouldn't literally be able to observe and then track how folks were, uh, were engaging. And now you can, you know, there's a variety of, um, you know, of experiments and, and you know, tools that you can use to do that. Some third party, many of the best I've seen are actually still homegrown because in each different application, what matters and, and what level of sophistication of tracking you need for certain either actions or components is different. And, and often some of the best experiments are driven by you know, the same intuition or, or hypotheses that created the product in the first place. And so I think it's actually one of the great innovations of SaaS. And if there is something that, that SaaS companies maybe in general can pay more attention to, be I would actually say it's instrumenting their product to be able to answer these questions and take full advantage of, um, of the ability to, to really you know, create more value for your users and um, you know, build better loyalty and ultimately a better business. That's a great place to end, and thanks so much for coming on Build, Mackie. Thanks for having me, Kyle. We had some great takeaways from Mackie. Next, we get to hear from Max Yoder and Connor Burt from LessonLink. While most startups are laser-focused on customer acquisition in the beginning, LessonLink focused on retention. We'll hear why they made this decision and how it's helped them grow an insanely loyal user base. Max and Connor, it's great to have you both on the podcast. What's great about your company, Lessonly, is that not only have you prioritized a phenomenal 
customer experience, but your product actually helps companies better serve their own customers. Could you guys introduce yourselves and lastly to listeners? Yeah, you bet. Hey, Kyle, good to be here. This is uh, Connor Burt. I am the COO here at Lessonly. And my name is Max Yoder. Thanks for having us on the podcast. I'm the CEO here. Yeah, we, we make training software, as you said, and we really enjoy doing it. And, you know, take us back to 2012. What led you guys to found Lessonly and, you know, what pain point were you solving for? So one of our business partners and co-founders, Eric Tobias, he had started three companies at that point. He had sold two of them and he kind of pointed out, hey, every time I think about my people being on the same page and playing from the same playbook, singing the same songs, I get nervous because I have no idea how they would be able to do that without really good training and we don't have any good training. So he would go out and look every time he's built one of these companies, he goes out and looks for training software. And each time he comes back and says, I'm not going to make the investment. It looks too hard to use. Uh, It's really expensive. I'm not sure the return is going to be there. So he would just not do it. And that was the initial instinct for us to go out there and say, why would a, you know, an otherwise smart person not take advantage of training software? There must be something, there must be an opportunity out there in the market. And what we found was a big opportunity. A lot of legacy systems all focused on HR, focused on compliance, focused on manager training, but not focused on the kind of the practical, tactical, functional skills that people need on the front lines of sales teams and customer service teams. So we said, that's that's an opportunity. Let's zero in on it and create a new kind of training software for the way modern teams work. That's great. And you know, at the outset, I'm sure you guys like most startups were really laser focused on customer acquisition, you know, like telling that story about Lessonly and, you know, why companies need it, why it's different from legacy solutions in the market. But, you know, later on companies started to solve more for retention. When did you prioritize retention at Lessonly? Yeah, that's a great question. We actually did it far earlier than I think Max or I would have expected. It was we actually had about 25 customers when we made our first kind of director of client experience hire, which was at the time our third hire in the business. Our early philosophy was you're either making the software, you're selling it, or you're serving customers. And we kind of hired people in that exact order shortly after was marketing. So for Max and I, we prioritized it early at the advice of some very thoughtful mentors and and partners in the business. And it turned out it was probably one of the best hires we made. And the timing was far, probably could have done it even earlier. That's really early. And Dan Demmer in uh, our first episode actually talked about it's really key for growth is understanding customers and having that be sort of the foundation for growth. So that that makes total sense. Yeah, and Kyle, and Kyle, I don't mean to interrupt you. That was the exact reason that we saw so much value out of out of the uh, role. Is Connor and I were out there selling. You know, my my job was mostly to work on the product, so I was kind of a half time selling. Connor's full time selling. But when you're doing those things, you're not you don't have the time to devote to listening to the customer. So Corey comes aboard as a director of CX and all of a sudden we have this new insight into our earliest customers who are so hungry to help us and that just perpetuated a lot of uh, value really, really quickly. And how did you guys go about developing initiatives to you know, make customers more successful and improve retention? One of the things we, we try to do here, Kyle, I think oftentimes one of the philosophies when you try to think about how do we improve the client experience is you go talk to customers that has, have left. So you dig in deep with customers that have left and that's great. And we did a lot of that to understand what were the biggest areas, the biggest pain points, the biggest things that didn't work and why. But we also tried to do is talk to the best customers, which I think a lot of people miss. And that really is spending time with the people that love your product just as much as the people that are having trouble with it. And tried to take insights from both of those things to develop initiatives. So some of those things turned out to be initiatives like 
services. So we looked at our customers and we said, hey, we're giving you this really easy to use self-service platform. But one of the biggest churn reasons was they just never quite got to value. And so we looked at services as a way to say, let us ride shotgun with you to help you get there. And let's identify the two or three biggest areas you might need our help with. And we introduced services. We looked at automating parts of the customer journey with tools like Intercom, of course, and kind of customer marketing. But at the end of the day, I think it's really understanding your voice of the customer from both of those, the churn customer perspective, but also who's loving your product and getting a ton of value and why. Yeah, it's, it's definitely counterintuitive to build out a services team for an easy to use product, especially in, in a place like training. It's all about what you put into it to make customers successful. You know, as you started to build out the team, so you had your director of client experience, as you started to you know, build out that CX team at scale, how did you think about designing what that experience should look like at scale across all your customers and, and, a, and a broader team? Yeah, I think what we've tried to do is really find commonalities among customers. I think for a lot of teams, that starts with slicing it by size and understanding where are kind of the breakpoints where a customer needs a very different kind of client experience function to serve them well. So over time, what we did, we kind of started with a single model and have segmented over time to say, our biggest customers probably need something different. They probably need different personnel and they probably need more resources. So we've specialized roles into be more specific. So things like implementation has become its own function and client success is really focused on getting the customer to value. But at the end of the day, we just asked ourselves, what is that journey to get to value? And looked at the customer base and tried to segment it over time to really make it very specific to what their experience with us as a, as a customer. And then at the end of the day, it comes down to building good relationships with customers. I think Max and I both have been floored at the advantage you have when you meet customers in person. So Max and I try to do it quite a bit, as well as we have just this incredible CX team that loves getting on site in front of customers. So every trip a CX manager takes, they're trying to meet not just their customers, but other customers. And we started to pull in things like user conferences and roadshows as a way to really put some face behind the software. At the end of the day, software is becoming so prolific in organizations. It's often easy to forget that there's a team serving you behind it. And if you do that well, I think it goes a long way. Definitely. And super tactical question, like for each of your CX managers, like how many accounts do they service? How do they prioritize their time? Yeah, that's a great question. So we try to have, we have our kind of commercial segment that our team manages between 70 and 90 accounts. And the goal there is you think about a matrix where you know you kind of matrix your accounts. The upper right quadrant is your biggest customers with the highest growth potential or the highest impact, the, the biggest impact we could have that we're not yet having. And the lowest left quadrant is your smallest accounts that probably don't have a ton of growth potential. So we charge our CX managers very tactically on number one mission is get the customer to value. Number two mission is net retention. And so their book of business of 70 to 90 customers is segmented to say, kind of sliced in both of those dimensions for both churn and expansion. And then they spend the most time, they're having QBRs, et cetera, with the most strategic customers. And then on the upper market side, it's more like 20 to 30 customers, obviously a lot bigger in size. Uh, and very similarly, we segment them in the exact same way. So every CX manager, it's their book of business split into the quadrant I was describing. Got it. You guys kind of highlighted this already, but it really rings true. And when I've talked to less customers, 
they absolutely love Lessonly and rave about their experience with the people at Lessonly, whether that's you guys, sales team, CX team, services, really anyone else. How did you create a culture of really amazing customer service? I uh, think it starts with bringing aboard you know, that initial group of folks who really care deeply about just treating other people with a tremendous amount of respect and attention. I think one of the things Connor does really well that is modeled for the rest of the team when he does it is he's a really good listener. So when he's on the phone with a customer, he's not doing anything else but listening to what they're saying. He's really actively engaging with whatever they're saying. He's not just waiting to get the next question out. He's taking in what they're saying. And it makes people feel special when that happens. It's not, it's not a normal thing. So that's one way of just saying, I think you model that sort of behavior. And you set the expectation that that's not just, it's not just us that needs to be doing that. Everybody needs to be doing that. This is how we should treat anybody, whether they're a customer or not. And it's just a competitive advantage when, when it, it starts to spread because a lot of people are passively listening. They're not actively listening. A lot of people uh, you know, aren't trying to build that personal relationship. And we hire a lot of highly extroverted individuals in the roles that extroverted individuals will thrive in. They're constantly engaging with folks. They're making friends with customers. So I think it starts with modeling. And then also, you know, that initial group of folks that we brought onto the team, they brought on that next batch of, of people into the team. And, you know, you start with a good foundation and you build off that foundation and, and their networks start to perpetuate. And you just start to get this number of folks who are just really kind of all singing the same song and really believe in that song that it starts to self-perpetuate in a way that's kind of hard to stop. At this point, somebody comes in and doesn't behave that way, they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. They're probably not going to like it here. Yeah, and I think what's kind of unique with you guys too is on the, it's one thing for a customer success person to look like that, but it's spreading that culture across everyone and making even the sales process, the salesperson seems more like a friend, confidant, listener, as opposed to someone that's just trying to sell you the latest and greatest widgets. Yeah, you bet. I mean, that wouldn't, when Connor came aboard to start sales, again, setting that tone that we don't sell something that we don't believe in and we don't sell something we can't do. And if we ever make a mistake in that respect, we own up to it in instantly. That is just something that, you know, other people are not going to feel comfortable doing anything differently than that if the first person to ever sell and the first person to build out the sales org is doing it that way. So I think it just permeates itself. Yeah, it really starts at the top. And what advice do you have for companies that are trying to improve their customer retention? I'm going to hand over to Connor on that one. He's our retention expert. <laughs> That's a great question, Kyle. I, I think I already gave my number one tip, which is don't forget your best customers. Max does a great job of reminding me that. I think in client experience, it's, it's a hard function because no one's ever going to be 100% happy with everything you do. And then we remind our client experience managers often that once you deliver the next new thing, they want the next new thing, right? It's a never ending journey. And so oftentimes I think you've got to always remember you've got a cohort and a quadrant of customers that love you and try to replicate them just as much as you try to minimize the people that are frustrated would be kind of one of the first tips I would give. The second I would give is for very early stage customers, I think we did a really good job not getting overly bogged down in data and quantitative analysis of what makes a good customer. But at the right point in time and maturity, when you have enough customers and enough data, then you get to making more data-driven decisions. And I think we did a really good job early days to trust the gut of our director of client experience, Corey, 
to say, hey, what trends are we noticing? Is this something we should be aware of? Let's go tackle it. And then later stage now, we're saying, here's our gut, let's back it up with data and let's make a decision to change it. And I think what that has really taught us, along with the help of actually Scott Maxwell at OpenView, is once you kind of identify those areas, limit the number of things you really try to do to move the needle. So we set out this objective system and every quarter our CX team comes up with a few objectives to really improve retention. What we learned is there's only 64 business days in a quarter. And to really improve and move the needle in a quarter on a book of retention of a lot of customers, you really need to do one or two things really well. So that would be kind of the final thing I think we've learned is over time, we've really slimmed down the list of things we were experimenting with to the most high priority, high impact, and do those really well instead of trying to do too much at once. Yeah, not, not over-engineering things. You know, you guys have gone through a great journey growing extremely quickly. Was there anything that you feel like you got wrong and how did you correct it? Yeah, I think uh, to go back to what Connor mentioned earlier, being too myopically focused on what isn't working, you know, it's really easy to let the 10% of the population that is unhappy take all your attention and easily forget that that 90% that is happy is sitting right there having a good time. And it is actually a lot more motivating to be talking to the 90% that is happy, learning what's working and how do we do more of it so that as we start to implement more of the things that are already working, we can start to move that 90% to 91%. But I think, you know, we're naturally going to find the way I'm wired is if I'm looking at a big canvas of something beautiful and I notice a little thing in the corner that is maybe not great about that canvas, maybe it's a piece of art and there's a hole in the bottom left corner, I'm going to focus on that hole instead of just taking in the greater beauty of the things around us. It's much, much, much more inspiring. It's much more motivating to pull back and say, guys, we're doing a really good job here. And the more cost customers you get, you know, we have 550 customers now. We have one or two customers who, for whatever reason, are not, you know, feeling like they're getting what they need. That's a pretty dang small percentage in, in the grand mix of things. It does not mean you don't take that seriously, but it's, I think, perspective on the retention side that super helps. And I'll let Connor knock out something a little more tactical. I actually, one thing came to mind for me, Kyle, which was, I think I underestimated and have learned the impact of positioning early days. And what I mean by that is the way you sell your early customers and what you position yourself as ultimately will hopefully evolve over time as a company. And it's an extremely heavy lift to change someone's perspective or a whole organization's perspective of what your product is or does or should do. So for example, Max mentioned this a little bit. We were very early days, a very simple solution, right? And and one of the ways we would when business is position ourselves to help a customer with onboarding problems. And so people bought us as a tool to help solve their onboarding problem. Over time, we've become a tool that helps all customer-facing teams do better work and perform well in their role. So that is a lot more than onboarding. And so getting some of your older customers to adopt your new positioning and evolve with you as fast as your product evolves takes a really heavy product marketing, customer marketing, and CX kind of enablement to really move customers from maybe one thing, which was pretty simple, to another thing, which may be more complex, bigger, etc. It's great advice. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast, guys. We'll do it anytime. You want to, let's do this tomorrow. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> thanks for having us on, Kyle. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Build. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. You can compare yourself to your peers by checking out our benchmarking data at benchmarks.openviewpartners.com. Please help us improve this data and participate in our 2018 survey 
That's actually out now at openview.vc forward slash 2018 dash benchmarks. And outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenViewVenture and subscribe to our newsletter, which is sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning. You can do that by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.